This week, uh, we begin our summer series, and we start this morning in Luke chapter 7, verses 26 to 50. 36 to 50. The title of the series is The Scandal of Grace. Now, dictionary.com defines the word scandal as an action or event regarded as morally or legally wrong and, and causing general public outrage. When we think of grace, we don't, we don't typically think of scandal. But shouldn't we? Grace is something undeserved. It, it flies in the face of culture. It flies in the face of society. It's, it's so outrageous that even those of us who depend on it and are so thankful for it have a hard time grasping it. Grace is so outrageous, so preposterous that it's, it's scandalous. We're going to be taking a look at the scandal of grace by spending time in some of the parables of Jesus. Now, the the parables are are pretty familiar. We've heard many of them before, and so that can seem a bit dull and and maybe a little boring. But it is my hope that as we explore the parables of Christ, you'll come to a deeper understanding of the scandal that is the grace that has been poured out on you by the all-powerful living God. Let us read the word of the Lord this morning. Luke chapter 7, verses 36 to 50. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. And so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house, and you did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Ascends the reading. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, for your word is truth. God, I pray that you would speak through your word this morning. That you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. Praise in your name. Amen. So when Karen and I first got married, we, we didn't have a lot. 
We were young. Uh, we weren't really in career jobs at that point in time. And, and so we, we needed to find some way to furnish our apartment right out, right out the gate. And somehow, I'm, I'm not sure how, we, we qualified for a credit card. And so instead of buying super cheap things at a Salvation Army or a garage sale, we took our fancy little credit card and, and took off for Ikea and bought some somewhat cheap things. So we could have a bed to sleep on and a table to eat on at our, our little apartment. We spent money that, that didn't belong to us so that we could buy what we wanted right now. We didn't realize the full implications of our actions. We didn't realize how much more those things were going to cost us in interest. And we learned our lesson. Now, I'm not going to launch into an ethics debate on debt. That's, that's not the point. But I would like to point out that debt is something that has become acceptable in our country. That has become an, an expectation. People want to know your credit score before you're able to rent an apartment, before you can buy a house, before you can do some things that are, are fairly necessary in society. And so according to the, the Federal Reserve's Consumer Credit G19 release, we find that consumer debt totaled close to $4 trillion by the end of 2018. That's a four with 12 zeros. Collectively, Americans owe 26% of their income to this debt and spend 10% of their individual monthly income on mortgage debts like car loans, credit card accounts, and student or personal loans. That's a lot of money that we earn that we don't get to spend. That's a lot of money leaving our paychecks, and, and that can be crushing. Some of us may not have a lot of debt, and some of us may be crippled by it. Crippled by the crushing weight of all that we owe, and not sure how we're going to get out from underneath it. Unsure if we're ever going to be able to take back control of our financial lives. In our text this morning... Jesus compares the crushing weight of debt to the crushing weight of sin. He has been invited to the house of Simon the Pharisee, and, and while they're dining, a woman from the town, a prostitute, arrives. And she goes to Jesus, and she begins to cry, and with her tears, she wets his feet, and with her hair, she wipes them clean. Then she covers his feet and kisses and pours expensive perfume on them. Now, this is rather shocking to the people that are attending the dinner. And, and Simon thinks to himself, there is no way that this man could be a prophet. Because if he was, if he was, he would know what kind of woman this lady is. And he would not have anything to do with her. She is a sinner. She is a prostitute. And she is disgracing him with her touch and us with her presence. Are there people that we feel this way about? Is there someone in your life or maybe a group of people that you know of that you would have a hard time seeing as a Christian? That just doesn't seem to fit in with the faith. In fact, their presence in the church would probably be a little offensive to you. Sometimes it's traditions and stereotypes that play a role in our judgments of other people. 
We see the prostitute, the, the drunkard, the addict, and we see the sin and, and not the person underneath. Sometimes it's politics that play a role. For some of us, it's the liberals and our perception of how they play so fast and loose with morality and truth. For some of us, it's the conservatives and our perception of how they don't value people like Jesus did. Sometimes it's personal experience. Maybe it's someone that's hurt you or hurt someone you love. The abuse may have been physical. It may have been emotional or psychological. It may have been recent. Or it may have happened a long time ago. But you just have a hard time reconciling that hurt with the church. That hurt with being part of the family of God. How could God forgive that? How could he look past that? Simon can't wrap his mind around how a prophet, much less God himself, would be okay with being in contact with such a dirty, rotten sinner as this prostitute. And Jesus knows it. And so he answers Simon's silent question. He answers the question that is on Simon's mind and heart, even though Simon hasn't voiced it himself. And he tells the story of two men and a moneylender. One man owed him 500 denarii, and the other 50. Now a denarii is equivalent to one day's work, and neither man had the ability to pay back his debt. But we find that this moneylender is generous. For instead of locking the men in jail, he forgives the debt of both men. And Jesus turns to Simon and asks him, which one will love him more? Which one of these two debtors will love him more? Will the one who owed 50 or the one who owed 500 denarii? 500 days work. Jesus then turns to Simon and asks him, oh, sorry, yeah, and Simon answers, Simon answers, I suppose it's the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. I love how he throws in the, like, I suppose. Isn't that, isn't that just so true? Like, he grudgingly admits the correct answer. He's not excited about it. I, I suppose it's the one. But there's a question behind Jesus' question of which one will love him more. And that question is, which one are you? Which one are you? Do you consider yourself to have the small debt or the large debt? You see, we naturally tend to see ourselves as good people. You, you ask someone on the street if, if they believe that they are going to heaven, and the common response is, yeah, man, I mean, I'm, I'm generally a good person. Sure, I've, I've made some mistakes, but I'm trying real hard, and, and I think God gets that. I mean, I've never, I've never stolen anything. And the thief says, I mean, I've, I've never cheated on my spouse. And the adulterer says, I've, I've never murdered anybody. I've never killed anyone. And on down the line it goes, right? We constantly try to justify our failures, our sins. We can always look to someone else that we perceive to be something worse and so justify the little sin that we commit. And in the church, I mean, it's, it's just as easy to fall into the same trap. 
We just go about it a little differently, you know? I attend these service regularly, we tell ourselves. I'm doing the best I can to keep the Ten Commandments. I tithe the appropriate amount. I go to the midweek Bible study and I'm faithfully at Sunday school. I do the things that I'm supposed to do, that I'm expected to do, or at least I'm trying to do them. So I suppose, I hope, that I have the smaller debt, right? Growing up and and hearing this story, I always considered myself to be the one with the smaller debt, recognizing that, that I had a debt, so it's there, right? But but that it couldn't possibly be as bad as some of the true sinners that I saw around me. But as we examine our hearts, we know the truth, don't we? As we take an honest look at the darkness that each of us has inside, as we truthfully take stock of the desires of our hearts, we know, we know, we know that we have the massive debt. It doesn't matter if you are in a church or out of the church. It doesn't matter if the sin is social, political, or personal. We are all human, and with that particular classification comes the reality that we are born sinners, that we each fall short in a massive way. As Daniel Emery Price put it, no one can out the fallen human heart. No one can out the fallen human heart. And it's important to embrace this reality, for as Jesus points out, look at the difference between the two in our text this morning. Simon sees himself as the lesser debtor. Yes, he invited Jesus over for dinner, but it was, it was almost as equals. He didn't give Jesus water to wash his feet. He didn't greet Jesus with a kiss. Simon didn't anoint him with oil when Jesus entered the house. He treated Jesus like he did all of his other guests. Jesus was just another guy around the table, another person to interact with, to break bread with, to crack jokes with. To Simon, Jesus was basically a peer. He treated him just like all of his other guests. But how was Jesus treated by the prostitute? She was well aware of her sin. In some ways, she was the symbol of sin in the city. For those she sinned with were anonymous. Their activity took place in the dark, in the shadows. And though some could probably guess as to who her clients, her partners were, it was kept secret. And she was the one who bore the shame. She carried the public disgrace for herself and for her clients. Her sin was known by all. The size of her debt could not be hidden, for it was public knowledge. And then she realized the message of Christ. When she realized the message of gospel, of of the gospel and what that meant for her, she sought Jesus out. She went to the den of her accusers. She went to the Pharisee's house. She sought Jesus out and went to great extents to honor him. Where Simon had treated Jesus as a peer, this woman treated Jesus as a savior as the one who saved her from the crushing weight of her debt. The way that we view our debt affects how we view Jesus. 
If we think that we only have a small debt, that our good works have somehow chipped away a little at the debt that we owe, then we believe that we are doing some participating in our salvation. We believe that we are doing something to make our debt lesser. And when we think this way, we are minimizing the work of Jesus on the cross. For we are saying, hey, thanks for the assist, Jesus. But with enough time, I could have gotten there myself. But hey, thanks for the boost. I I appreciate it. However, when we recognize the depth of our sin, when we recognize the crushing weight of our debt, when we are honest with ourselves and willing to admit that we don't deserve any help, that there isn't a payment plan in existence that we can begin to hope to stick to in order to make this debt right. When we are willing to admit to the full scope of the debt our sin has put us in, the grace of Jesus is overwhelmingly scandalous. God's grace is outrageous. How could he forgive what we had done? How could he just do that without assurances? Without a down payment? Without taking a pound of flesh? It's borderline offensive. How could he forgive me for what I have a hard time forgiving myself for? It's scandalous. We didn't earn it, and we don't deserve it. And if we were to honestly recognize the depth of what we have been given in Christ, we would fall before him in thanksgiving. Like the woman in our text this morning. We wouldn't care about how those who believe that they just have small debts think about our actions. One of my favorite parts about this passage is the last line, verse 50, where Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So often we read a story like this and we think, oh man, so, so that's what I need to do, right? I, I need to cry before Jesus and give him gifts and do the things that Jesus approved of this woman doing. We like that list. This is what I must do. We continually default back to that. We're wired that way. We keep trying to find ways to do things. But Jesus makes it clear that it is not what she has done that has saved her. It is what she believes. And that is true for us as well. It's not what we do that saves us, but what we believe. Do you believe that the debt of sin that you owe God is bigger than your mortgage? your three cars, your student loans, your credit cards, and any other form of debt that you could hope to take on. That your debt of sin is crushing in its size and there is no way for you to pay back one penny, one half penny of that debt. Do you believe that debt of sin separates you from God? That he couldn't have the kind of relationship with you that he created you to have with him? Do you believe that God in his love and mercy decided that he loved you so much that he came up with a plan to fix the chasm that stood between you and him? He came up with the payment plan. Do you believe that he sent Jesus and that Jesus lived a perfect and sinless life? Do you believe that Jesus in his grace and mercy took 
All of that debt that you owe, that I owe, that everyone in the world owes, and he took it to the cross where he paid for it in full by dying in our place. Paying the price of sin. And furthermore, do you believe that he rose again from the dead and in so doing conquered sin and death? And that by believing in all of this, you are saved. By believing that Jesus did all that he said he would, that he was able to do all that we read he did, all that he said he did in his word, by having faith in this, you are saved. By faith. Not by works. So stop trying to pay God back. Stop trying to pay God back. Stop trying to chip away at your debt. Instead, worship the God who paid it for you. Yes, it is pleasing to God when we do what he wants us to do. That brings him honor and glory and we should be doing that. Yes, it is pleasing to God when we treat others the way he wants us to treat him. That brings him honor and glory and we should be doing that. Yes, it is pleasing to God when we worship him, when we glorify him. But let us do those things out of a joyful response to his mercy and his grace. And his forgiveness, not as a means of payment. The debt has been paid. Live in the freedom of forgiveness. Be caught up in the scandal of grace. Rest in the loving arms of your God. The one who made you. Who loves you who went to great lengths to save you by paying the debt that you could not. Man, what a wonderful, amazing, fantastic God we serve. Amen.